Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is going to be Acts 18, verses 1 through 11. Not used to this short hair yet. Okay. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Tedious Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, why don't you do me a favor? Raise your hand if you are um, someone who deeply longs uh, for your life to mean nothing, to amount to nothing, to go nowhere, to be remembered by no one. To overall just be considered meaningless. Anyone? Of course, nobody's writing that in their dream journal or their fully focused planner. Like, there's no one in here that's like, that's me. Finally, a church that gets me. Um, nobody does. It's obvious. And yet, and yet what's not so obvious is answering the question, what does a meaningful life look like? And that's the kind of question I've, I've pondered most of, most of my life. And I, I've heard a lot of answers. I, I've wrestled with uh, a lot of different advice and perspectives on how to answer that question. But what I've come back to again and again and again is this. The, the most meaningful life is immersed in mission. The most meaningful life is immersed in mission, meaning... it. it there's something bigger than oneself that you somehow get to be a part of, that you get to press on beyond you, that it will outlast you, outlive you, and impact people beyond even your scope of influence. Zig Ziglar, some of you may know this, he's an author, a speaker, influential leader, has said that outstanding people have one thing in common, an absolute sense of mission. And when you come to, to explore who Jesus is and what he wants to do in the world and, and what, what his claims are about how this world can be a better place, when we seek to follow him, it, it shouldn't come to surprise us that he not only comes to bring deep meaning to every nook and cranny of our lives, but he comes doing so, linking it up with a mission. 
A mission that Christians, generation after generation after generation, have given their lives to. Some literally laying down, like dying way before physical health would naturally take their lives. And others giving 60 plus years of their lives committed to this robust, amazing mission. Ordinary people turned outstanding and and, and doing outstanding work, work that makes the world not worthy of them. And this sort of mission, God has been about since the very beginning. He's been inviting every generation to be a part of. It finds its climax in Jesus. Jesus not only elevates this mission, but he, he clarifies it when he calls everybody who follows him to this great commission. And it's there in this mission we find the most robust, meaningful life. Life and life abundant, as he says. And it's all anchored there in this mission. And listen, there's no better place that we find this sentness on mission uh, on display than in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is kind of like the origin story of the church. We've been going through the book of Acts basically since January with a couple little fits and starts and breaks in there along the way. But in the midst of this, what the book of Acts is presenting overall is God continuing his mission, his mission to actually reclaim all of creation back from sin, back from death, back from disease, back from decay, back from these cycles of destruction, and back to himself, back to life and life abundant, back to the way he designed the world to be, back to human flourishing, back to healing. And he's doing all of this through ordinary people that he's called now to do outstanding work. The church linked up with this robust mission. And so when you start to wrestle with, okay, what does a meaningful life look like? And, and in this quest to have a meaningful life, naturally the question will come up. And if you've been around in Christian circles for any length of time, you've probably heard this. You know, how do you know if you're on or off mission? If, like, if mission is where we find the most meaningful life, how do you know if you're on or off mission? What does it look like? What does it look like to, to miss it? How, how can you find contentment in mission instead of like knowing if you're in the wrong spot? How can you have confidence that you're on mission? What does it look like? How can you recognize it in other people? And listen, that kind of question, the church has just made a mess of answering for quite a while. And today, when we come to this historical snapshot here in Acts chapter 18, We're going to get some great clarity, both on how we miss the mission, secondly, where we actually live on mission, and then thirdly, what we miss if we miss this, or rather, who we miss if we miss this. Because I I don't have to tell you, if we miss this, many of you will still live, and and myself included, will live a really fine life. You can have some great experiences and adventures. But if you miss this, you'll miss the most meaningful life this world affords. And someone who understands what it means to be all in on mission and was just unwavering, unwilling to compromise in any way, shape, or form on the mission is the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to get a chance to learn from him this morning. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. We find, we find Paul there in Corinth. This is the, the seaport city of Corinth. And it was located strategically along the Roman trade routes. And so it became one of the most influential economically and political cities in the broader province of Achaia. Okay? And so when we find Paul in one of these really strategic cities, 
and he focuses all his energy and he's uncompromising on what the mission is and, well, and he's unwilling to be off mission. We come to Paul and we ask the question, where is mission? We're going to find a really good answer, okay? So let's look together, right? Okay, let's look together. Verse 4, we find Paul, he's reasoning in the synagogue with Jews. So people who have a robust history of knowing how God has worked in the world through this particular nation called Israel and Greeks, meaning those who knew about the history of what God has done through Israel and were God-fearers already. So they already kind of have like a foundation. So he's reasoning with them, pointing them to Jesus. And then he has two of these colleagues that come. He has Silas and Timothy, and they arrive from Macedonia, and what do they find Paul doing? He's occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. I mean, he's doing all of this amazing work, communicating, proclaiming the gospel, and he does it with this other confidence, such that when people begin to reject him, what does he do? And like the, like the prophets of old, this is a strange phrase, he shakes his clothes and the dust of his clothes shakes off as a way of saying, listen, I presented to you that this news about what God has done in Jesus isn't just a neat idea, but it's what God's doing in history. If you reject it, I'm innocent of your blood. You have made this decision to reject what God has done in the world and that's on you. Utter confidence. And then simultaneously, utter responsibility. Because he, he, he has this unbelievable responsibility that if, that if people haven't heard about this news, he's got to tell them. And so when he gets rejected from the synagogue, where does he go? Right across the street um, to this guy, Titius Justice. And he sets up shop in his house and begins to tell people about Jesus. And what happens? We heard it in the text. People are starting to believe in droves. All these Corinthians, these people who are a part of the strategic city, who know about all these different cultures are saying, look, what God is doing in Jesus is unique the world over, and they want to proclaim it from the rooftops, so they do so through baptism, which is this outward, very public way of saying, Jesus is my Lord, none other. And then in verses 9 and 10, God comes to Paul in a vision, and he's like, you're doing great. I'm with you. Keep going. There's more people. Like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so Paul stays there for 18 months. This is the longest he's ever stayed in a city up to this point, helping cultivate this little burgeoning church. And so you start asking the question, where is mission? And if you've had any history in the church whatsoever, or even if you're like new to church and you were to like venture a guess as to what mission was, uh, like what do you think is the mission of the church? Well, you'd say, well, where is mission? Mission is here. It's right here and what Paul is doing and proclaiming the gospel and like building up disciples and strengthening disciples. And you'd be 100% right because there's something that God is doing that is so unique when his people make an intention to gather together in the name of Jesus and to grow in their understanding of what God has done in Jesus and how it shapes the world and how everything and shapes out everything they do. So you'd be 100% right. And for so many, so many churches, that is the whole story. For much of history, for, for many times throughout history, that has been what Christians have been called to. And I think in many ways that's right. Mission is here. But what we need to understand is that is not the whole story. There's more to mission. And it's right here in our text. Let's look together, verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, he's the Roman emperor at the time, 
had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And, he, and Paul went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, if you blink, you'll miss this, but this is anything but insignificant. You see, Paul back in Athens, if you remember from last week, and if you, ha- if you weren't here last week, just read a couple verses before chapter 18, and you'll get the broader perspective. Paul is standing in Athens in one of the most influential courts, before, before some of the major culture shapers, those that captured ideas in Athens, shaped not only the culture of Athens, but the culture of Rome. I mean, Rome even said this is where culture happens is in Athens. So he's standing there before all of these influential thinkers giving a response for the gospel right there in center stage. And then you get to Corinth and he moves to the back of a workshop making tents. And what we need to so deeply understand is for Paul, this is not a movement down the social ladder, but this is just a changing of hats on mission. You see, Paul understood, yeah, mission is here. It's, it's where God is like building up disciples and teaching the gospel and, and bringing together broader formation spiritually. But listen, listen, mission is there too. It's also in building tents as well as in teaching. So many times when we get to this passage, we begin to teach by, that Paul was bivocational. And what we often mean by that, if you've ever heard this passage read before, is that, well, Paul's really important work, his really, really important work, was to be an apostle. And then he kind of had to do this like other menial work that he didn't really want to do, like tent making, in order to support the really important work. Listen, one of the greatest heresies in the 21st century church is the idea that there is somehow this sacred realm and this secular realm, such that there are these top tier jobs that are more on mission and these other lower tier jobs that are somehow less on mission or at least maybe even off mission. And the only reason you do those is to support the jobs that are really on mission. But Paul and no one in the first century would have ever thought that, ever. Instead, Paul would have understood his role more as dual service on a singular mission. Dual service on a singular mission. And we get clarity for this if you just jump ahead to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35. This is what he writes when speaking about those moments. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. For Paul, no matter what what he was doing, it was consistent with the mission. No matter where he was, it was all in witness to Jesus Christ, whether making tents, or proclaiming the gospel in word. All of this was about reclaiming all of creation back to God himself for flourishing. And so what we come to see, and, and sometimes you, you, you have to remember, when, 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 these, when Acts was written and then copied laboriously, there are no extraneous details. Anything that's mentioned is highly strategic because Year after year after year, people were getting hand cramps copying this. Like, you don't leave stuff in there that's unimportant ever. Not like we do it sometimes with emails and so on because you just hit copy. Like, then it was everything was so, so strategic and intentional. And what we need to understand when we come to this passage is, one, 
Paul's not trying to lay out a template for every pastor, every missionary ever that they always have to have like supplemental income because Paul in different situations doesn't have dual roles. There are some times where he completely leans in, leans in to the support of the community that he might focus solely on teaching. The point also in this passage is not to say, well, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And it's somehow just instrumental to the mission, but not integral. No, 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 no. God's mission is so much bigger than that. And it's not just what God's doing here. And it's not just what God is doing there. But when we really come to understand how God's working in the world, as Jim and Linda brilliantly said this morning, and it's anchored here in our text, mission is wherever you are. Mission is wherever you are. It's whether you're here today or you're there tomorrow, and it's integrated. It's integrated. Being on mission is just understanding where you are and why you are. Think about this. I mean, sometimes when we, we come to the great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That in no way, shape, or form eradicates what is called the cultural mandate that we find in Genesis chapter 1. What God proclaims over the very first man and woman, the very first human beings that now becomes an edict for every human being thereafter, that we should go and be fruitful and multiply. And that we should work and keep the world. That we should take the good world that God has presented and make it more beautiful. And therefore, love our neighbors as ourselves. The Great Commission does not eradicate the cultural mandate. It actually comes and complements it and brings greater clarity. How do all these things are now pointing to Jesus, but never as a way to now excuse the lack of involvement in taking God's good world and making something beautiful. What we do here and what we do there ought to be integrated, meaning what we do here as a church centered on Jesus ought to make us better there. If it's just to make us feel good here rather than to make us better out there, then we've missed it. Hopefully, because of what we do here, our bosses, our coworkers, our employees would say, man, don't miss church on Sunday. <laughs> because what, what God's doing in you there is like, it's shaping the way you're leading me here. It's shaping the way you do your work here. And, and frankly, what you do there, what we do there, ought to build plausibility, ought to encourage people to want to be involved here because they see that what God's doing here is something really unique and touches every nook and cranny of your life. What we do here and what we do there, mission here and mission there is integrated because mission is wherever you are according to what God is doing in the world. Do you believe that? We've heard a brilliant testimony from Jim and Linda. They're going to be angry I said that, but there it is. They are. I mean, it's such a great example of faithful presence over the time, over their time. And we see this laid out in Paul's example here. But do you believe that? And maybe let's just pause before you answer that question. What does your life say? Because to know something and to not do something reveals that you know nothing at all. Because if you know it to be true and you don't do it, then you really don't believe it's true, you see. 
What does your life say you actually believe? And if you're on this quest for the most meaningful life, and the most meaningful life is immersed in mission, let me ask you, let me ask you a really pointed question, okay? What part of the mission are you overlooking? Maybe you're overlooking the mission there. Maybe, just maybe your job is just a job, and it's something where you can earn a supplemental income so you can get what you really want and do what you really want to do in the world. Maybe, maybe your work is a place where you're just trying to get to, to Sunday, or maybe, let's be honest, Friday, you know? Uh, finally, I can get some more time, you know, just relax and take a breather. And some of you may say, hey, Gabe, you don't know my boss, and you don't know how how meaningless my work feels or how pointless my work feels, I want you to do just a quick mental exercise. Imagine if there was no one doing your particular job in your particular organization, what would be the result? If no one was doing your particular job in your particular organization, what would be the result? Would that, con- that company continue to, to, to flourish? And if that company did not continue to flourish, would the job still be provided? Would the wealth still be created that now circulates through that community that builds sustainability that now also provides means to care for the weak and the vulnerable? It's all interconnected in an ecosystem of a flourishing community. Are you missing the mission there? Maybe, maybe you're missing the mission here. And I don't know, maybe like a, being a part of the church gathered is a more rare occasion than a consistent reality for you. And, and, and I know life is busy, and, and many times people, you know, like, hey, life just got busy, and I don't know where the time went. And what we really mean by that, if I can say this, church, is that, like, that out there is just more important than what God's doing here. Not that you can't ever miss. We're not, like, trying to be weird legalistic and all that jazz. But understanding what God is doing here through the local church gathered together is something so crucial. Are you missing the mission here. Some of you may even say, hey, Gabe, I'm so much on mission out there. I don't have time for this. (laughs) I've heard that before. Well, the chances are really good that the more you are on mission at the expense of being on mission here simultaneously, the greater the odds that you will, one, burn out or fizzle out. And then you will look back on your life at one point and wonder, why am I so far aflung? If you're lucky, the unlucky ones don't even realize how far they've wandered. Are you missing... Are you missing the mission here? What part of the mission are you overlooking? And I don't want to stop there because that can feel pessimistic. I want to ask you a question to kind of stir the imagination towards action. I want you to ask, what would it look like to take this mission seriously everywhere? For you, like what would, it, what would it look like if you actually start taking this mission seriously everywhere? And I'm not saying that you're, we're missing it everywhere. And maybe we're stronger in one area than we are in the other. But ask the question, what would it look like if you started taking the mission seriously everywhere? What if you started taking the mission more seriously here? Would that mean you're actually serving in the local church consistently? Not just seeing the place where you're fed, but now you can help feed others and contribute and care and make this a more sustainable movement over the long haul. What does that mean? And would that mean that maybe you're giving financially to help support the mission? Would that mean that you make gathering together because on Sundays a priority, not... Not that you're never gone, but you understand how God is working through the church gathered, as we see in Hebrews chapter 10, to spur us on to love and good deeds, and we can't do it alone. 
Maybe you join a community group and you invest in other people so that you can also speak into other people because we need others to follow Christ. It's never, never a, a solo calling. What would it look like for you to take the mission here more seriously? What would it look like for you to take the mission there more seriously? You kick this egg. Would you, uh, would you show up more promptly at work? Would you stop asking the question, what's the bare minimum I can do to get by? Or what's like the medium I can do to skate by? And ask now rather questions like, what would it look like for me to, and to make the culture of my organization better? What would it look like for me to raise productivity and efficiency? To see this company go to the next level or my work reach new bounds? What would it look like for you to take the mission there more seriously? Because listen, when you start asking that question on a day-to-day basis, both here and there, that's what it means to be on mission. Not to be perfect, not to have it all figured out, but to be asking the question and pursuing, okay, what, is it, what does it look like for me to take this mission more seriously there and here? And, and if you're anything like me, I need good signs to know that I'm headed in the right direction. Like, give me a sign that I'm headed. Well, here's one really good sign that you are headed, that you are on mission rather than off mission. It's one of the leading indicators and one of the greatest gifts of being on mission. Here it is. When you are are really leaning all in and you're taking the mission seriously, both here and there, you will find deep and meaningful relationships here and there. If the most meaningful life is immersed in mission, And when you start leaning in and you start taking this mission seriously, both here and there, you will find some of the most meaningful relationships both here and there. Why do I say this? How do I know? Because listen, the most meaningful relationships are always found in shared mission. When you have the same goals, the same passions, and you're linking arms, and you're working towards something bigger than yourself, and you're saying, okay, we're going to be in this together. We're headed towards the same goal. I'm going to sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice. You're going to contribute. I'm going to contribute, and we're going to be in this together. That's where you find some of the most meaningful relationships when you lean all into a shared mission together. How many of you, one of my favorite, like, mini-series of all time, um, is the, the miniseries from HBO called Band of Brothers. Anybody seen that? You know, you've got, uh, I had to write it down because it's hard for me to remember, East Company, 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division of the U.S. Army. Um, and it carries this, like, part, like, part of their story through World War II. And there's a reason. They're a band of brothers. They've got this mission that's bigger than themselves. They're sacrificing some of their own wants so that they together as a group can make it through and they're there, I mean, they're doing unbelievable things in order to rescue, to care for, to support each other. And those relationships last a lifetime. Why? Because they're interlinked in a shared mission that's bigger than them. And someone we find in our text who deeply understands this is a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, what I love uh, about Priscilla and Aquila is their story. Um, there's so many nuggets that if you just pay attention here to these these, these, this, this chapter around the biography of who they are, it's truly fascinating. Priscilla, most scholars believe, is a part of the aristocracy. She was a Gentile, so she had a lot of wealth and status. And then she marries this Jewish guy, Aquila, from, from Turkey, from Pontus. Um, and, and remember now, don't you want to know more about that love story? 
Because most relationships in the first century, their parents are organizing those marriages. But this is not a marriage like that uh, Priscilla's parents would set up with like good conscience and social standing. So this was likely a relationship they chose. Um, I just, I want to know more. Like there's so many like little detail I want to dive into. So not only do you have like this like strange, like beautiful relationship between Aquila and Priscilla, but they're also refugees. Do you see this? Like they, chances are really good. So they were in Rome and they got kicked out when the present day emperor, Claudius, kicked out all the Jews. There are a lot of different rumors and ideas as to why that happened, but he kicked them out and they find themselves in Corinth. These refugees, and they start this business of tent making. Now, ironically enough, the primary, the types of tents they're making, according to the term here and what broader history suggests, the kinds of tents that they were making were probably sold to the same Roman military who escorted them out of Rome. Isn't that ironic? Wouldn't that be difficult? Not so so much for Aquila and Priscilla. You want to know why? Because they understood that mission is wherever you are. And they got that mission was there too. And look at who God brings along their path while they are just zeroed in, these brilliant business leaders and what God's called them to do in this really good work well done in making tents that actually cared for those who had brought ostracization from their hometown of Rome. When you start to learn a little bit about their story, you see that the Apostle Paul comes to Corinth and he asks them for a job. (laughs) Now, Chances are really good Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians in Rome underneath the teaching of Peter. So they knew about Paul and his influence. And they've got this job, that's do- this business that's doing so well that it's creating jobs, right? They have more capacity to hire more people and to build this bigger enterprise. And then Paul comes and is like, hey, you have the similar trade. Can I work with you? Which that's got to be like in my mind if Billy Graham came and said, hey, can I be a part of your staff? Sure, you're leading this next staff meeting though. Like that's not, that's not, I mean... This was a big, and it could feel kind of awkward, but not for Priscilla and Aquila because they, once again, they understood that mission is wherever you are and mission is there, right there in the midst of making tents. And they're doing this with the Apostle Paul. Think about this. Six days a week for 18 months, they're working next to the Apostle Paul making tents, talking about what God's doing in the world. Paul's teaching them how to dive into the scriptures more deeply. They're teaching Paul how to make tents better. (laughs) There's this mutual vocational sharpening that's happening in this beautiful space in the back of the workshop because this is where mission happens. And they become such deep friends, such close friends. What happens? When Paul leaves and after 18 months, they go with him. Isn't that fascinating? Paul leaves Corinth and they're like, can we go with you? We've really just struck up a friendship. I think we've got a great enterprise going. And, I, you know, God's doing something amazing. Can we go with you? So they go to Ephesus. And then while they're there, Paul's like, you know what? I know you get that the mission is there, but you also understand that mission is here too. So I'm going to leave. Why don't you guys focus on the church in Ephesus and you guys start building that church up while you're still simultaneously making tents. And I'm going to move on. And what happens when they're there is they meet an interesting guy by the name of Apollos. Now, There's a lot of buzzwords here that in the first century mindset, you would have instantly had a picture of Apollos. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla are these refugee tent makers who have this thriving business. Apollos is from Alexandria. If you look down here at verse 24, what that means for every first century listener is that Apollos is basically like a guy who graduated from Harvard with honors. 
This was a place that had the biggest library in the world at the time. This was a major intellectual hub. And then Luke, the historian who's recording this, gives two adjectives about Apollos. He says, he's not just eloquent, he's competent in the scriptures. Like he goes over the top. So he's from Alexandria, one of the most intellectual key centers in the world at this time. He's eloquent, he's competent. And then you got Priscilla and Aquila. And every time that Apollos goes up against people who are saying, Jesus couldn't be the Christ. Apollos like takes them to task and proves them wrong from the Hebrew scriptures. And Aquila and Priscilla are listening to all this go on. And then they say, Apollos, you're missing something. <laughs> Do you understand the power dynamics of this moment? Apollos, with all this prestige, he's already a bit of a celebrity in Christian culture at the first century and known for his intellect. And these two, ref this, these two refugees, these, this couple, this tent maker say, Apollos, you're missing it. There's something more that you need to know about what God's doing in the world. And you want to know why? Because they not only understood that the mission was there and making tents, but they understood the mission was here and what God was doing in the church gathered and they wanted to see both flourish. So they take Apollos in, they teach him. And then what happens? One, one is fascinating is that Apollos listens. Isn't that what a, what a great mark of humility that we all have something to learn every single moment of every day from anyone everywhere? But when he learns from Aquila and Priscilla, we come to see that this has this dynamic effect that if you go down to verse 27, that when he went to all the churches that he arrived at, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Aquila and Priscilla knew exactly where they were, everywhere they were. They were on mission. Whether it was there, out in the workforce, making tents, or here in the church gathered, and they understood that together, mission is wherever you are. And they leaned in, and they had these dynamic relationships, these, some of the most meaningful relationships, both in the workspace and there in the church gathered. And that became a tell, a tell, tell, tell sign that they were indeed on mission. What a meaningful life, and we're still talking about them today. And I want to end with this. One of the greatest litmus tests as to whether or not you're on mission and one of the simultaneous the greatest gifts and the, the reason that this mission is worth it and the reason that this mission has any sort of hope in succeeding is that when you really start to understand that the mission is everywhere, one of the greatest gifts is you understand that the God who is always on mission, that God is with you everywhere you are. If mission is everywhere you are and God is zealous about his mission, that means he's with you wherever you are. And one of the greatest ways and the most meaningful relationships you have are in shared mission. If God's on mission both there and here, then both your workspace and the church gathered become catalysts in your relationship and your intimacy with the God, the creator of the universe, who's always working to reclaim all of creation back to himself. So if you want a meaningful life, if you want a life that comes with some of the most dynamic relationships this world can offer. If you want to be an agent of change and be a part of a movement that outlasts you, the most meaningful life is immersed in mission. And those most meaningful relationships come with a shared mission and it's all available and the only mission that's worth your while. And that's the one where a resurrected king is at the helm carrying out his work by the power of the Spirit such that when you get to the end of your life, you'll be able to look back, not with regret and not with shame, but instead with confidence in the gospel that you leaned into this mission wherever you were 
and you can say, that was a meaningful life. And simultaneously hear from God our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we want that? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word. Um,